Well, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to John chapter 19. This is the last message in the Jesus Is series. We've covered a lot of ground here in the book of John. The first message was that Jesus is life and light, and then Jesus, he is hope, and Jesus is joy and peace, and on Christmas Eve, Jesus is here, and today we're going to talk about how Jesus is love. We're closing down this series here, and we're in John chapter 19. And this can be kind of a tough chapter to read through in the midst of the Christmas season. I mentioned this in the midweek email because on Wednesday, John 19 was our chapter to read. And I said that John reveals to us in this particular chapter Jesus' torture and the mockery that he would receive, the injustice, the crucifixion, his last breath and his burial, all within this particular chapter. And with all the focus in this season on the birth of Christ, it might seem a bit morbid to read about how this precious child would eventually die. However, it's a good reminder for all of us. This is why he came. From the cradle to the cross, our Savior came with great purpose. I noticed this particular post on Facebook this week. We're in the midst of the season, but we know that Christ's sacrifice on the cross, that's the reason. And we sing songs like, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And there's a line that says, Born that man no more may die. He's born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. You can't have any of that unless this Savior goes to the cross and gives his life. And so while we have the manger scene in the nativity, we also look ahead to where he would lose his life. And John gives very graphic detail about the crucifixion. He was an eyewitness. He was there watching this go down. And if you were there, watching this go down, I'm sure you would have very vivid details and memories of this. Now, without Kids Church today, I'm not going to get into a variety of those details. We'll read through them, but recognizing that we have young ears in the room, I will tread carefully. But I also want us to understand what this child would eventually go through on our behalf. The word we have in the English language, excruciating, comes from the word crucify. And this child would eventually go through an excruciating death to liberate us from sin. We're going to reflect on that together today as we read from John 19. We're actually going to start in verse 1, but our focus then will move into verses 17 through 27. So would you pray with me before we begin? Father, I thank you for this time of reflection that you were born that man no more may die. 
to get to that point, your life's journey took you to the cross. As we reflect on that today, I'm asking, Lord, for your help in communicating your word and your heartbeat. Guide us by your spirit. We thank you for this now in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 19, starting here in verse 1. So Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. Some translations actually say scourged. We'll walk into that a little bit here after our passage reading. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put a purple robe on him. Hail, King of the Jews, they mocked as they slapped him across the face. Now Pilate went outside again and said to the people, I am going to bring him out to you now, but understand clearly that I find him not guilty. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said, Look, here is the man. And when they saw him, the leading priests and temple guards began shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! Take him yourselves and crucify him, Pilate said. I find him not guilty. The Jewish leaders replied, By our law, he ought to die because he called himself the Son of God. So he's guilty of blasphemy, so they think. Now when Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever. And he took Jesus back into the headquarters again and asked him, Where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. Why don't you talk to me, Pilate demanded. Don't you realize that I have the power to release you or crucify you? And then Jesus said, You would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. So the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. Then Pilate tried to release him. But the Jewish leaders shouted, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. When they said this, Pilate brought Jesus out to them again. And when Pilate sat down on the judgment seat on the platform that is called the stone pavement, or in Hebrew, Gabbatha, it was now about noon on the day of preparation for the Passover, and Pilate said to the people, Look, here is your king. Away with him, they yelled. Away with him. Crucify him. What? Crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the leading priests shouted back. Then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus away. And carrying the cross by himself, he went to the place 
called the place of the skull, and in Hebrew, Golgotha. There they nailed him to the cross. And two others were crucified with him, one on either side with Jesus between them. And Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek so that many people could read it. Then the leading priests objected and said to Pilate, Change it from the king of the Jews to he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate replied, No, what I have written, I have written. And when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. And they also took his robe, but it was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said, Rather than tearing it apart, let's throw dice for it. And this fulfillment, this fulfilled the scripture that says, They divided my garments among themselves and threw dice for my clothing. So that is what they did. And standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to this disciple, Here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. And Jesus knew that his mission was now finished, and to fulfill the scriptures, he said, I thirst. And a jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So as we begin to unpack a variety of things with this passage, there's a weightiness to this chapter. And I think it causes us to really reflect and consider what this child would eventually go through on our behalf. The reason being is that Jesus is love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And we see what's taking place in his life now as he's crucified. The first few verses here of John 19, you see an incredible mistreatment of Jesus. Without getting into all the details, a scourging was horrific. Some people think Jesus even went through that twice. Once before Pilate brought him before the crowd and then one more after. What's interesting is Jesus walks through this and the mockery and the crown of thorns and the purple robe and hail the king of the Jews, all of that going on. And yet, 
he also has to carry a cross that he's going to be crucified on. What's interesting here, the word for scourge in John 19, verse 1, it's found several other places in the New Testament, and it's referring to these literal beatings or these floggings that either Jesus would receive or that those that are God's prophets would receive. But it shows up in one more place, and I think this is interesting. This word actually shows up in Hebrews 12 when God talks about disciplining his children that he loves. And that word disciplining is actually the same word as the scourge. And I look at that and I think, you know, the Bible says that we do not have a high priest that's unable to sympathize with us. We have a high priest that knows what it's like to go through very difficult things. And his scourging is one example of what he went through and how he can relate to us as humanity. I know it was recent in the youth ministry at a question night where we had a panel of individuals. The kids could ask questions, and one of the questions was, how could a good God allow suffering in this world? And as I thought through the answer to that, if God didn't allow suffering, we would not have had the answer to the curse of sin. Because he allows suffering, he sent his son to suffer on our behalf. A good God allows it so that you and I could be set free from sin. And we could have a relationship with him. He allowed his son to suffer on our behalf. In John 19, verses 4 through 16, you see this dialogue between Pilate and the crowd. Pilate says, here's the man. And they're all shouting, crucify him. Because he's committed blasphemy, which in the Old Testament was grounds for taking life. And Pilate says, look, here is your king. And they continue to yell out to crucify him. And he's confused. What? Crucify your king? And they say, no. Look, we have no king but Caesar. And that came from the mouths of the leading priests. We have no king except for Caesar. The opponents of Jesus wanted him dead so badly that they confessed Caesar as their only king. The Jews were to have no king but God. And now they're claiming Caesar. The Jews hated Rome so much. And they were no friend of Caesar. But when pride gets in the way, they become irrational. And there's some application in that for all of us. When our pride gets in the way of our relationship with God, we can actually give lordship to things that we never would have imagined. And these leading priests say, we have no king but Caesar. Seems way out in left field. 
The Bible says that Pilate then turns Jesus over to them to be crucified. And in verses 17 through 27, we, we see this taking place, carrying the cross, and they nail him to that cross along with two others. This Christmas season, Brady came home from a thrift store with a, a little box that's a Christmas ornament. And I pulled this off the tree last night, so I want to share it with you. But it's actually, it's an ornament that's a nail to remind us of the reason for the season. And you hang this on the tree, it says, this is the Christmas nail, it's to be hung on a sturdy branch, a branch near the trunk branch that will hold such a spike without being noticed by well-wishers dropping by to admire one's tinseled tree. And the nail is known only to the home that hangs it, understood only by the heart that knows its significance. And it is hung with the thought that the Christmas tree but foreshadows the Christ tree, which only he could decorate for us ornamented with nails like this. He took the nails for you and for me. This was only like $3. But as I think through that, I, I feel that it's priceless. And what he went through to pay the penalty and the price for our sin. In the book of John, perhaps you've heard of these before, but there are several I am statements that Jesus makes. In this gospel, Jesus makes seven of them. And in the Old Testament, God had revealed his name to Moses when he said, I am who I am. And he also told him, when the Israelites ask you, well, who sent you? Tell them, I am sent me. And so for the Jews, I am is unquestionably understood as a name for God. And whenever Jesus made these I am statements, he was claiming his deity and identifying himself as God. He says this in John 6, I am the bread of life. In John 8 and 9, he says, I am the light of the world. And in John 10, he says, I am the door. And also in John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. John 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And in John 14, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And in John 15, he says, I am the true vine. There are two more I am statements from Jesus in the Gospel of John. And these are not metaphors, but rather they're declarations of God's name. The first instance comes as Jesus responds to a complaint by the Pharisees 
And this is in John chapter 8. And he says, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. You can imagine how that went down. (laughs) And then in John chapter 18, as the mob comes to arrest Jesus when he's in the garden. They come up. They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he replies, I am he. You know what happens next? They fall over. They fall to the ground. And as I'm reading chapter 19, I notice one more that was actually spoken by the leading priests on his behalf. I don't know if you caught this. But it's regarding the sign that was posted on this cross. And it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And it's written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek so that many people could read it. And then in verse 21, the leading priests objected and they said to Pilate, change it from the king of the Jews to he said, I am king of the Jews. And then Pilate replies, no, what I've written, I have written. It was customary to attach an inscription on to a cross that stated the reason for execution. While this took place, Pilate's notice of this announcement to all who walked by actually pronounced Jesus' kingship and his lordship to all people. He is king. And while he's on the cross, taking some of his last breaths, which the process of crucifixion, it's so horrific that you're actually suffocated. And you have to lift your body up in order to take a breath and then release yourself to take a breath out. You can imagine that every word that Jesus is going to speak has great significance if it takes that much energy to just breathe, let alone say something. And perhaps you can think of moments in your own family, last words or deathbed moments, and those are significant moments where you're sharing some of the most heartfelt things to each other. And there in Jesus' last moments, you see something incredible between him and his mother and this disciple and whom he loved that would eventually pen these words. And he asks John, take care of my mom. Wow. Years later when John writes this, you can tell that he is because he said, This disciple took her into his home.
It's powerful to gain that perspective from John himself. But now we look to the final moments. In verse 28, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished, and to fulfill the scriptures, he says, I thirst. Think about the significance of those words. If you've ever heard of the singer Mark Lowry, he's known for writing the song Mary Did You Know with Buddy Green. Mark Lowry's mother wrote a song called I Thirst. And I want you to consider these words as Christ is on the cross and he says those two words, I thirst. The chorus of this song says, He said, I thirst, yet he made the river. And he said, I thirst, yet he made the sea. I thirst, said the king of the ages, and in his great thirst, he brought water to me. The power of his words. In verse 29, a jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. And now we have our memory verse for this week. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. What's interesting here is you can imagine the effort of just breathing, let alone speaking. And it's believed that Jesus actually shouted out these words. And some would believe that the reason for the drink, to bring that up to him, imagine how dry his mouth would be, hanging there for hours. He receives that to shout out, it is A shout of triumph declaring completion. There's a task that he had been assigned and he did it. To telestai. That word has actually been found on ancient tax receipts, meaning this has been paid in full. It is finished. Jesus came to this earth and did what he was assigned to do. To pay the penalty and the price for our sin. Jesus came and paid our penalty in full. There's nothing lacking. And because of his love, you and I can be set free. So back to that slide I showed you at the very beginning. The season and the reason. It's because of the love that God has for you and for me. I want to show you these two banners here.
that I think are really just a neat picture along with verses. You see a wreath on one side and a crown of thorns on the other. The wreath side says she'll give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And the other banner says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This child came to give his life. Jesus is love. If you would like something like this to take home with you, we have a variety of them at the welcome desk that you can hang somewhere at home or put in your Bible. But to remember, this is the reason for the Christmas season. This child would come and he would give his life for you and for me. Would you pray with me as we close? Father, we thank you for this Christmas reflection that you came to save us from sin. Thank you, Jesus, for everything that you went through on our behalf. Let us not take that lightly or in vain but recognize the love that you have shown us and to respond to that love. It's possible there's someone listening right now that the reality of Christ and his sacrifice has not made its home into your heart and life. And as we've been reflecting on all that Christ has done, he did that for you because he wants a relationship with you. If you desire to receive him today, I just ask that you'd pray with me right now to receive him. Simply say in your heart, Jesus Come be my king. Please save me. Please forgive my sin. Make me new. Come into my heart. There's room for you. Today I receive you by grace through faith. And I thank you for this gift of salvation. Lord, as we respond to your love, I pray that, Lord, we would reflect that love to those around us. Considering all that you went through for humanity, help us to be people who serve and give our life for kingdom service. We thank you for this reflection. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>